Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. Hey everyone, I'm Beth Baker and welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. I hope you've been following along in our series with Nolina of Nolina's Heavenly Organics and graduate student Lexi Firth. We're back with another episode and in this one we're diving into Nolina's experiences as a female farmer and landowner. As a female farmer, my first thoughts are the plants grow without regard to whether it's female or male hands that plant those seeds or seedlings, right? They just are fulfilling their uh, biological imperative to grow, right? So if the circumstances and the soil and the water and the sunshine are there, they will grow. So that's one um, one thought about being uh, a female farmer. And um, uh, another thing that I encountered when I was farming, first of all, I just ignore all those uh, stereotypes, right? That, And so just um, as a person, I just do the things that I care about, right? And I encourage, um, and, but, if, but if others, there were also a lot of other women that worked on farms that weren't farm owners. So as a farm owner, I didn't... Um, uh, encounter much opposition, resistance, I'm not sure how to phrase that, to to being a, a farmer. I did remember Roe at La Montanita Co-op, the produce manager, saying, you're my only female farmer, right? So, uh, and that surprised me because um, I met a lot of other women, but I guess they worked on farms. The I did take a little FSA loan, uh, that, I think that's Farm Service Agency. When I started the farm, to begin a farm, they have uh, loans available, and you pay it back at a very reasonable rate of interest. That was of great help. I don't think that that's gender-based at all. So if you meet the criteria for a farm loan, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. The NRCS grants also, you have NRCS in Mississippi, right? We do. We do. In fact, okay. they somewhat support this podcast through funding. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Their grants, uh, they give really good grants. They have a, a program for those seasonal high tunnels where they give you a grant to um, purchase it. And then, of course, you build it and, and do the finish up costs um, and plant inside of it. But they're very generous with their grants for those. And uh, I, I think that their grants are also not gender based. So you can just be a farmer without regard uh, to being male or female. You're just a farmer and a, a, a person, right? There's always um, uh, maybe some other um, aspects would be, um, despite that most of the time, more, uh, more men are stronger than women. So they tend to... Uh, be better at doing the hard tasks, right, that require some strength, maybe moving some things around. But um, women also uh, have an advantage there because um, they're more inclined to ask for help or to team up or to be creative and clever about how to do something uh, that might be challenging. Um, so, uh, but also, I do think that men are 
built differently than women. And my back um, still remembers all the heavy farming I did, just bending over, weeding, uh, hoeing, planting, and harvesting day after day does uh, stress your lower back. So I would encourage women farmers to take care of their back and to not do a lot of heavy lifting, even if they're really strong. Uh, something to add to that, Nolina, is one of the most impactful things you ever said to me when we were out on the farm was that, well, you know, there may be a time that comes when you can't do something the way a man would have approached it, but um, work smarter, not harder. And like you said before, <laughs> just get creative about it. And I've taken that with me beyond the farm. So I think that applies to all areas of life. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Women tend to finesse things more, and they also ask for help, um, and men just have the propensity to want to do things themselves, right, because that's a, our, that's a society-based kind of uh, uh, approach to uh, gender, um, so it's a holdover, and it, I think it's changing and shifting. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what we as women, and it's it's fantastic that you're, you know, Nolina at a place where you're no longer internalizing any of these stereotypes. But of course, any of us who grew up in America have internalized, you know, biases about ourselves and about our behavior that we kind of have to realize in adulthood and, and somewhat overcome just because it's part of society, whether you're male or female. Um, and so... I think the way you've approached that on the farm and conveyed that in your perspectives on female farming is, is so important. And obviously it has stuck with Lexi, which is also important because no matter what profession you're in, you usually encounter some parts of that because it's still unfortunately such a strong part of our society. Um, we've talked about several of your approaches and strategies that really supported you being successful as a farmer. Um, so what would you say are some of the unique strengths you have um, being a female to help you, that helped you become so successful? Um, I think first and foremost is um, my belief that I can do anything I want to do. And I think all people can. Um, and there's so many resources available. Uh, like, like, you know, one of you asked how I learned to grow things, and, and I said, well, I read a lot of books. Well, these days, everything's available on the web, everything under the sun, if you want. And there's support groups out there to look and, and be connected with other people. And, and um, so connecting with other people really helps. Also, asking for help. I, I really enjoy asking others to help on a project, right? And then, and then also adapting to what um, are their strengths and allowing them to do uh, things in their own fashion. For instance, I'm a really early morning person and I'm also pretty uh, zippy or, or fast. I do things really fast, but I take a lot of little breaks. That's my speed, I'm a different speed. Other people are slower. They like to um, start slower and then they work steady and slow for a lot longer time. So I think allowing people to approach farm work in their own way um, and then adapting things so that we're all doing what what we excel at to, to complete a project like a harvest or an order or planting um, is important. And um, uh, also, let's see, um, state your question again so I can ponder some more. <laughs> I, was, I was just kind of inquiring about how some of your um, 
what some of the strengths are that you have just kind of inherently that have helped you be successful and um you know just to to give you some context to that question i know that even here at the university when we uh, approach our research and the work that we do um i try to remember that you know the inherent strengths that we have uh often as women or as individuals even, because that can be very individual to each person. Um, there's always something there that can help us be successful and in our own way. So the way that you also talked about asking for help and connection, I'll just kind of mirror that and say that in our research, I love, I love more than anything, having a fun research team, like within <laughs> our lab, but also in our projects, the people that you work with really make the work fun and rewarding. Um, so I think that would be one approach from my perspective that, that I find, um, is inherent to my personality, but something that I think makes us successful. So just kind of as an example to what I was trying to get at, and maybe I didn't ask the question very well. Um, no, I think I just lost the thread. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so I'll second that and, and who you work with, it does make it more fun. And also if you approach it with it's hard work, but let's have fun at it. That helps. One other thing I found um, that uh, uh, is that people are diverse and come with an entire um, uh, different background, different skills, but people are endlessly creative and inventive. And if you listen to people or like or watch them and see how they do things, um, you can really combine a lot of different um, uh, skills and talents to a project, uh, no matter what it is, to um, to complete it. And in a, in a new way or a, or a better way or a different way. Um, and so with farming as a paradigm of life or as a, a paradigm of a, a, a university research project, um, then... Uh, you know, like, like, see, we had a lot of fun on the farm, right? It was hard work, but we had fun. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. By the way, and I was that person that took a while to start and then was slow and steady. Oh. Just so you know, <laughs> she mentioned before. <laughs> yeah, but other people had their different, remember, we had other volunteers come that they have their own rhythm, right? And, and, uh, and to allow them to work at their own rhythm and their pace um, really just, allows them to give the best of themselves uh you know so um and uh, also i uh did um get volunteers on the farm through a whole variety of methods like because uh, because there's always one more weed there's always one more project that's not done so you have to insist on a day of rest sunday was our day of rest when you don't do anything right because it it becomes almost um, impossible not to want to go out and 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 do some more work on a farm uh, because it's so rewarding. But um, the ways that I got people to come to the farm were um, I would uh, network when I wanted on like an, uh, a garlic planting day, right? We'd have people come from all over and we'd lay out the the, the cinnamon rolls and the coffee and people would uh, all come and help. Uh, plant garlic for a couple of days and we'd get it done. So that was one approach. Another one was to use um, volunteer organizations that are around. One is called Woofing. 
Willing Workers on Organic Farms. It's a network where you list your farm and tell a little bit about it, and then farm uh, volunteers that are interested will email you and ask if they can come and and stay for a week or a month or uh, whatever, you know, works for them. So uh, you do have to have some uh, places to accommodate them, a place to stay, and then you feed them, and then they work. And, they, and the whole idea with that organization is that they come and help in exchange for learning about farming. Um, as with anything, sometimes people come and it's not really their thing. They just are out experiencing life. So, um, and we all learn about ourselves as we go along. Nolina, how many people did you have working with you in addition to Lexi? Um, that varied a lot. Like I said, on um, say a community planting day, we would have up to 20 people show up and we would all work together all day or some for a few hours and others later in the day. So, uh, and then you mean on a, on a long-term basis, Lexi came and stayed at the farm and lived there. So we actually got a little house, especially for her, a little casita that we called the Lexita. <laughs> so, um, so that she had her own little place and, um, but then other people would come from, from the nearby town. So from the community, they would come out and help. And, um, and the one volunteer in his 80s, he lived nearby. So he would come on certain days and he was very dependable, which is very important when you have an order for harvest. If you need to know you're going to be able to harvest and package up and deliver uh, on time, that's important to know when people say they'll come, they will. And uh, other families came from the community and helped. So, uh, but at any one time uh, on the farm, we would just have a few people that lived there and other people came. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is, that is interesting, especially when you are still tied to delivering products um, when there might be uncertainty about how much labor you have at a given time to deliver those products. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, and Lexi mentioned um, several experiences, stories that um, you might recall from the farm. I don't know, Lexi. Do you want to prompt I, questions? I'm thinking on that of a particular topic. story about um, a freeze in the middle of July uh, and oh. the tomato issue. <laughs> I wasn't present for this, but I, <laughs> Nolina tells oh, I, a good story. I forgot, I forgot about that. Um, earlier in the farm days, we used to grow uh, five rows of, of tomatoes, and they were um, heirloom varieties, and it was right on the cutting edge of that trend when, uh, and so we had, we could sell all we could grow to both uh, the co-op and at the market and at, um, to the especially to the chefs because heirloom tomatoes are so much more flavorful and so diverse and um, so beautiful. And so we grew a lot. So, um, so when those, I actually think it was later than July because um, uh, the tomatoes take a while to grow and then they start producing and then they produce for uh, weeks on end. So we would harvest daily and package them up. So, um, but one year uh, there was an early frost coming and we still had lots of tomatoes on all of those rolls. And so uh, we called all around and lots of people came out and we harvested uh, with the wheelbarrow, with the trucks, with everything into the night, 
and it happened to be a full moon. It was like almost a mystical, magical experience. And we brought in all the tomatoes that were left, the green ones, because you can box up green tomatoes and store them in a, a cool, dry place, but a place that won't freeze. And they will ripen. Um, it's not as ideal as picking a, a perfectly ripe tomato from the vine for flavor, but of course, uh, to get things out to people and to the stores and to the chefs, um, you have to, you know, modify the ideal again. And um, so we harvested hundreds and hundreds of pounds in the headlights and by the full moonlight in the night to put them back. Uh, we used to have a big storage shed in the back uh, in boxes. So uh, to prep for that, we had to, uh, oh, we always kept a lot of boxes around, like the kind that you would buy a case of tomatoes in. So, um uh, that's another part of farm planning. You have to plan on all the packaging materials. And um, we had a lot of fun. And that that was a long time ago. Lex, you, you weren't there yet. so No, I wasn't. Um, but I just, you would describe <laughs> it where you guys were just wandering around in, at midnight, just harvesting tomatoes and having your headlamps yeah, yeah. on. And <laughs> that just yeah. seems so yeah. wild to yeah. me. It yeah. still does. With our headlamps. Yeah, I know. So when you're a farmer, you do what you can to, to save your crop. <laughs> Did you have enough storage space then to keep all of those boxes of tomatoes? Sure. Remember, uh, uh, in the in the back, we built a 16 foot by 30 foot long, uh, but very high roofed storage shed. And so uh, remember the far, the far Eastern Shelf had all our gear and everything on it, and and but the middle part, you know, was used for storage. So we just stacked up all the boxes in there, and um, they ripened over time. And so we had tomatoes long into the fall and even into the winter as they ripened. Um, so that was that was a blessing in disguise. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu. Thank you.